0: This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com
1: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Aadhu bila as-sameen a'i min ash-shaytan jee bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim al so tonight, insha'Allah Taala, which will be our last session before Ramadan for the first, uh, we have a very special way of beginning Bidnallahi Taala. So some of you uh, may have seen Hector; uh, he's been coming to the Masjid now for the last few weeks, right? Three weeks, seven weeks, seven weeks, almost two months. Alhamdulillah So. Uh, he's been sitting here attending the first, he's been attending the prayers, and inshallah ta'ala tonight, he's going to go ahead and take his shahada with us, so I'm going to ask Hector to come up, inshallah. He's not nervous at all. <laughs> not at all. You ready? Yes. So seven weeks. So you memorized the whole Qur'an, all right? Oh, no. <laughs> all right. So I want you to repeat after me. I'll go very slow. Okay. Say, "Ashhadu." Ashadu. You wanna hold the mic up? Ashadu. All right. Allah. ilaha ilaha Illa. Illa. Wa. Wa. Ashadu. Anna. Muhammadan. Muhammadan. Rasul. Rasul. Allah. I bear witness. I bear witness. That there is only one God. That there is only one God. And that Muhammad. And that Muhammad Is his final messenger. Is his final messenger. That's it. Welcome to the community. Finally. <laughs> Before you go, can you talk about what kind of drew you? You've been here for seven weeks. It's very interesting. I see that the prayers. You've been attending the classes. What yeah. kind of drew you to this place?
0: Um, well, it's kind of funny. Um, up until seven weeks, I, would, I didn't know anything about Islam. Um, I didn't grow up around Muslims. I didn't know a Muslim. I had never attended a mosque. The idea of, of Islam and a, and a Muslim was just extinct to my idea. I knew very nothing about it. Um, originally, um, it was just to find a mosque and get a Quran, because I had at first thought the idea of purchasing one online, but what better reliable source than getting one from a, from a mosque? Right. So, I came on a Friday, I got out of work at a decent time, and, you know, I was like, why not? Why not? I had thought about it so much, why not? You know, I worked at um, the Irving Convention Center. Um, I'm an HVAC technician uh, by trade and, you know, why not? What do I have to lose? Um, I came, um, I didn't come at at the best time because there wasn't a lot of people. Uh, I think it was like around four o'clock. I remember coming in and seeing a group of brothers in the front, Um, it 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 was a little empty and the first thing that I remember walking through the door is seeing men and women. And I was a little confused to begin with, but I'm a man, so I guess I'll make a left, right? <laughs> um, I had seen one of the custodian janitor ladies. She wasn't much help. And <laughs> yeah, and right then and there, kind of my shift in mindset of talking and treating people just changed. Because just from the background that I grew up in, growing up in the inner city, in Southeast Dallas, we're taught to ignore people, to give to give each other the cold shoulder. The core shoulder. Uh, we don't go out of our way to greet people. It's just me against you. We're 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 all to, lead to each other. And I had she, you know, I couldn't really get much information from her. So I remember going back and thinking, well, there was a group of guys in the front, and I contemplated the idea. I was like, should I go? Should I not? Should I, you know? I was like, well, I had been looking up to get a Quran for three weeks now. I had been searching, searching, searching for a mosque. I'm getting the Quran today. I'm getting the Quran. I'm not leaving here with that one. Um, and it took a lot out of me to go out of my way and go talk to them just because that, that wasn't me. Right. That, that, that wasn't how I grew up. And uh, funny enough, um, you know, I go out of my way to talk to them, and they asked me, or I, I asked them if uh, there's a bookstore here. <laughs> And funny enough, right then and there, I got, I got to figure out just the content of the character of people who are dedicated to Islam. Everybody, it seemed as if everybody was pulling out their phone, thinking of where a bookstore was. And funny enough, they told me, oh, well, there's a Walmart not so far away. <laughs> um, and then it got to a certain point when they were like, what kind of book do you are you looking for? And I said a Quran. And it was like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, I'm here to get a Quran. I'm here to get a Quran. Um, and from there, it's as if everybody, I mean, I had one person calling somebody else for a Quran in English, some people were coming inside, you know, so, somebody was gonna go across the street and I was like, I was taken back. I was like, wow, they don't know me. I, I've never met these people in my life and they're just so willingly to go out of their way and help me. And that's kind of how I got to see the content of the character of people who are dedicated to Islam. And, you know, it, it was breathtaking. It, it, It's almost as if time stopped and I was like, wow, interesting. You guys were the kind of people that I've always wanted to be like. But because of my society or the society that I was surrounded by and the world that I knew, I turned cold Mm -hmm. and I I didn't allow myself to be warm or go out of my way to talk to the next man. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, rest assured, they invited me for, it was Friday, they invited me for the No Doubt that night. And I I had agreed yes. And you know, I had gone home and I was like, ah, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't, you know, I don't know. And honestly, I was like, why not, why not, why not? I'm already getting the Quran. Let me let me go out of my way to, to at least come to a mosque. And I ended up coming. And the first thing that I noticed was the diversity. <laughs> you know, growing up Roman Catholic, it's almost as if we self-segregate ourselves. There was Hispanics, there was blacks, and there was whites. And like I said, I, I know nothing about Islam. I've never gone to a mosque, so just by, I don't know, society, the mainstream media, I was expecting nothing but Arabs, you know? And I, I was I was taken back. I was like, wow, interesting. There, there's such a diverse group of people here. Fascinating. This is how I feel a church or a mosque should be like. We should all gather together of all races, of all kind. You know? So, you know, and I had met Salim. I had met Salim um, when I had came um, to get the Quran, and he met me afterwards. Um, and he was just introducing me to all these people, and they were just so, so glad and happy that I was here. And I was just taken back. It's like, "Wow, you don't know me. Like, you you don't know. I wasn't used to this. You, you don't know me. Right. You know, just because of how I viewed the world and how I allowed the, the world to let me view them." And I just got to know a little bit more. I, went, I came Friday, I came Saturday, I came Sunday, I came Monday, I came Tuesday, I came Wednesday, I came Friday, and I, I came nonstop just because I wanted to experience it and see it verbatim in person. You know, watching videos on YouTube and learning about it online is only so much. I wanted to experience it firsthand for myself. And, you know, that's kind of why I would come so much, and that's why everybody seen me here so much, <laughs> even though I hadn't converted yet.
1: They thought you were muslim six weeks ago
0: by the yeah way. yeah that's kind of how it seemed like um so you know and i remember three weeks ago i was actually asked by uh one of the brothers that i met here abraham to join in prayer and it was a combination of it being last minute i didn't feel that i was ready things of like that sort so you know i kindly denied uh mind that between all this time that i had been going i just sat in the back and observed and you know did in, nice gestures like trying not to be on my phone for common respect and trying to pay attention. Um, and I had thought about it, I had thought about it. And funny enough, the day before I had, I had came to the conclusion of like, let me try it out, let me experience it, you know, let me postrate, do the whole, you know, all, all the steps. I had another brother come and talk to me and ask me, have I ever thought to join? And it was, it was like, funny enough, I was actually thinking that yesterday, and I had thought about it so much before. It was almost as if God put you in my position to help encourage me and, and go out of my way to, to join in prayer. And this was two Sundays ago. Um, and, and we set up, the, it was after Isha, so we set up for the, following, for, the, for the following night. And it felt good. It felt really good. Um, ever since that two Sundays ago, I can't just watch. I couldn't just watch. I, I couldn't, it, it was something within me that I just could not just watch. I had to participate, you know? Um, and that's when I kind of knew I was kind of getting closer, just taking those, those stepping blocks. And um, rest assured, you know, time just passes by, passes by, and this past Saturday, I had a brother to ask me to take uh, my shahada at um, the DeSoto House of Worship. And what really touched me, um, more than anything, is that he told me that I didn't have to be perfect. That it's OK that I didn't have to be perfect. I think just because I was so hard on myself, and I felt as if I had to meet certain standards, mm-hmm. or meet a certain quota to be able to convert. And from the drive from DeSoto to the mosque, I just thought about it, just thought about it. And I was like, I come every day. You know, I feel that I'm doing well with something within myself. I don't, I don't have any, neg- it's bringing so much positivity to my life. Um, from the age of 10 to 20, um, I dedicated my life to boxing, and I'm 25 now. Um, and I just left it. I left there for five years just because, you know, I, it, it was okay, I left it alone. And funny enough, now going through, coming to the mosque, I am back in the gym. I'm not necessarily fighting or competing like I used to, but I'm, I'm you know, participating in the exercises for my health. You know, and I, I, I think coming to the mosque to kind of help push me to that. Um, so I had just thought about it. And funny enough, I, by the time I came to the mosque, I came to the conclusion that it's time. I'm ready. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. And this was this past Sunday. Um, and funny enough, things just were, things were making sense that they shouldn't have. That I knew, I knew it was time. So I come into the mosque, and it's almost as if like time stopped because I knew I wasn't contemplating the idea of becoming a Muslim. I didn't need to learn more. I was ready. I was ready within myself, and I felt nothing was holding me back but myself. And funny enough, uh, Yasir comes in and he asks me if, if how I am on my journey, if I am close to um, taking my Shahada. And I couldn't help but to laugh. I couldn't help but to laugh because what a coincidence that here you are asking me. And I just came to the conclusion that I am ready. Like, wow, fascinating. Like, fascinating how things work. And just the joy on his face and everybody that I was ready. And he asked me, are you sure? I was like, I'm sure without a doubt. I I I know I'm ready. And then from there it went, you know, to talking to people and setting up a time for today. And, you know, there's small details here and there that I've left out, but in the general analysis, that's kind of how it's gone. You know, seven weeks ago, I knew nothing about Islam. I didn't know a Muslim, I had never gone to a mosque. I didn't know what a Quran looked like, I had never seen one. It was obsolete, and
1: now I just converted. (laughs) We're gonna wanna hear every detail (laughs) and you're going to be here for Ramadan inshallah for sure
0: Um, that's one of the things too that I knew that I was just small building blocks small check marks that I was checking off that I had never even said for myself before I even contemplated the idea of converting and I was just learning I already wanted to participate in Ramadan I was just wanting to do all these things to essentially feel it and just get that internal connection and like the first time that I prayed um, I felt that And if I knew that it was time for prayer, I couldn't not pray. I felt that I had to. And small things like that, I knew that it was just building blocks, just building blocks. And you know, and that's kind of how we are today.
1: (laughs) Well, I I want you to know that you're home now. You're with family, alhamdulillah. We're looking forward to seeing you grow in your journey over the next uh, several, several years. Hopefully you'll be a part of this community for a very long time. And what we say to everyone here is welcome home. Thank Welcome you. home, brother. <laughs> Welcome home. And Whoa. everyone's going to have to hold off their hug until after class. Sorry. <laughs> this is a small gift for you, inshallah ta'ala. Oh, thank you. So, mashallah ta'kbir. Oh. So thank you again for coming. And, oh, and, they're gonna, yeah. and one last thing. Um,
0: along with me, after, finish, after the first time I had participated in prayer, I had went out of my way to purchase my first prayer, prayer mat. And funny enough, it arrived today. <laughs>
1: Alhamdulillah. <laughs> MashaAllah. Takbir. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Welcome you. home Had and congratulations. MashaAllah. He is the, uh, the the purest person here right now. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep our brother Hector firm. May Allah keep him sincere and steadfast. May Allah bless him to have a fruitful journey and continue to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah keep him on the path of Islam and allow us to be a proper community and family to him. Allahumma ameen. Alhamdulillah. I feel like I shouldn't give a dars anymore. Anyway. I feel like we're done. Alhamdulillah. That's the most beautiful class that you can possibly have. Alhamdulillah salatu was-salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So we will continue tonight inshallah ta'ala with Zainab bint Jahsh radiyallahu ta'ala anha. Zainab Bint Jahsh. MashaAllah, I see Shaykh Mustafa Briggs is here too. Alhamdulillah. Welcome, to, welcome back home, Sheikh Mustafa. Hayakallah. Zainab Bint Jahsh ta'ala, anha, is a wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who so many Muslim women are named after, yet there is so little that's known about her life. And subhanAllah, I'm excited to actually tell her story more so than most of the people that we've spoken about because usually her life is only brought up in the context of a controversy about her marriage and not her qualities and her virtues and her relationship with the Prophet And before I get into her life today, uh, I wanted everyone to keep in mind a few things in regards to how much we know about a wife of the Prophet And usually there are a few factors that determine that. For one, how early they married him so whether it's Meccan or Madani time that they came to marry the Prophet ﷺ, or later on in the seerah, how much time they spent with him. The major factor being how early or how late they died, right? Because the longer that a wife of the Prophet ﷺ lives, the more they're able to tell the story of their time with the Prophet ﷺ and narrate the Sirah through their lens. So you have that factor, how long they lived after the Prophet ﷺ, and of course relatives that lived as well, if they had a prominent uh, sibling uh, that outlived them, that could tell their story. Or in the case of Aisha anha, she lived long, and then Urwa ibn Zubair, her nephew, lives long and tells her story. So it's relatives that tell the story. The thing about Zainab bin Jahsh ta'ala anha is that she is the first wife of the Prophet to die after him, right? So that's probably the main reason why, if not for sure, the main reason why we don't have too much about her so the Prophet's wives died in the following order. Who's the first wife of the Prophet ﷺ to die? I just want to make sure y'all are awake. Khadija رضي الله عنها. Who is the second wife of the Prophet ﷺ to die? Zainab who? No. <laughs> Zainab bint Khuzayma. Zainab bint Khuzayma رضي الله عنها. The only other wife of the Prophet ﷺ to die in his lifetime. She only lived six months with the Messenger ﷺ. Ummul Masakeen, the mother of the poor. And we have a lecture on her early on uh, in this uh, in this series of the first. And then after Zainab bint Khuzaima, Zainab bint Jahsh, عنها, who we're going to speak about today. Now to situate Zainab bint Jahsh, anha, in the story of the seerah, I wanna talk about her family in brief a bit, okay? So she is from one of the most prominent families in Mecca from both sides. Her father, Riab, is from Bani Abdul Shams noble wealthy rich man owns most of the pro- or, or more properties than anyone else in terms of houses more real estate in Mecca than anyone else her mother Umayma bint al Muttalib is the maternal aunt of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so Banu Hashim Banu Abdul Shams and she has nobility from both sides she has wealth she has beauty she has prestige she has prominence so she comes from the top of the top of the top when it comes to the classism that exists in Mecca and subhanallah what we find is that the children her and her siblings all become muslim they all become muslim so the first brother of hers that we've spoken about in some detail but just briefly once again abdullah ibn jahsh abdullah ibn jahsh radiyallahu ta'ala anhu the first emir of islam the first emir of islam is abdullah ibn jahsh radiyallahu anhu he is the one who is buried in the same grave as hamza ibn abdul muttalib radiyallahu anhu and another fun fact Abdullah ibn Jahsh was the first husband of Zainab bint Khuzaima. So before you get confused, because we got to separate the two Zainabs, there are a lot of Zainabs in the seerah. He's the first husband of Zainab bint Khuzaimah. And when he was martyred, the Prophet ﷺ married his widow, Zainab bint Khuzaimah. And Zainab bint Khuzaimah passed away shortly afterwards. Alright, so this is the brother of Zainab bin Jash. Uh, Abdullah ibn Jahsh converted to Islam early on at the hands of Abu Bakr as siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was amongst, he was in some narrations actually the very first person to migrate to Abyssinia, the first muhajir to Habasha. Uh, in some narrations, the first migrant to Abyssinia, of the first migrants to Medina, the first Amir in Islam as we said, because he's the first one to lead a battalion under the Prophet sallallahu alaihi And he was martyred in the battle of Uhud and buried with Hamza عنه, who would be his uncle. I'm, I'm, I wish I had a chart for you all, because the mother is Umayma bint Abdul Muttalib. So her, his mother would be the sister of Hamza, right? So he's buried with his maternal uncle, Hamza anhu, in one grave. Um, then you have Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh. Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh. Was one of those that embraced monotheism before Islam even came to the Prophet and he migrated to Abyssinia. He was the husband of Um Habiba the daughter of Abu Sufyan, before Um Habiba married the Prophet And there are narrations, though none of them are established, and that's why when when you go back to his story, I said it's actually not a good idea to 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 you know stake our claim in this that. He left Islam in Abyssinia and became a Christian, but there's nothing to actually establish that. Okay, but this is her other brother, Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh. Then she has Abu Ahmad ibn Jahsh, radiallahu anhu, who we have also a whole episode about, all right? And he is the other blind man from the Companions. His story is almost identical to Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum, radiallahu Anhuma. Why, because he wants to participate in everything, and he doesn't allow his disability to get in the way of his participation in any way. If I can carry a flag, let me carry a flag. If I can do anything, let me do anything, Ya Rasulullah. I am by your side, O Messenger of Allah. And Abu Ahmed, ta'ala anhu, was the one whose house was stolen. I mean, you know, he stayed back in Mecca. His house was stolen by Abu Sufyan and then another home by Abu Jahal. And he used to complain about that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was guaranteed... Uh, أَلَا تَرْضَ يُعْتِيَكَ اللَّهُ بِهَا دَارًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ Aren't you pleased, though Abu Ahmad, that Allah will give you, in place of it, a house in Jannah. The house that was stolen from you when you became Muslim and when you were pro- uh, persecuted and run out of uh, Mecca. This brother, Abu Ahmad, lived the longest of all of the uh, siblings. And he was the guardian of Zainab, رضي الله عنها, And he would outlive her and bury her and all sorts of things. Though again, he was the one with the disability. Uh, that was similar to Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. Uh, may Allah be pleased with them all. Then finally, Hamna bint Jahsh, her sister, Zainab's sister. Hamna bint Jahsh anha, is the wife of Mus'ab ibn Umayr. And so, when she, you know, because you have to understand when we talked about Aisha, anha, she was one of those that slandered Aisha. Anha. Understand the trauma that this woman came from, the trauma that was inflicted on her. When the battle of Uhud was complete, the Prophet Sallallahu went to her and said, Ya Hamna, ihtasibi O oh Hamna, seek the reward. And she said, Man ya Rasulullah, who passed away, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, Khaluki Hamza, your uncle Hamza. So she said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon, ghafar lahu wa rahimahu haniyan lahu so, you know, to Allah we belong and to Allah we return. May Allah forgive him and have mercy on him. Congratulations to him on that shahada, on the martyrdom that he has attained. So she lost her uncle. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, Ihtasibi, seek the reward. She said, Maniya Rasulullah, who now, O Messenger of Allah? And he said, "Akhuki, your brother, Abdullah ibn Jahsh. So she was a little bit, I mean, this hit closer to home, right? He started with the most distant, وسلم, your uncle, and now your brother also was martyred in Uhud. And she said, Same thing she said. "For Hamza, May Allah forgive him and have mercy on him and and grant him a shahada. Grant him that martyrdom and reward him with the martyrdom. And the Prophet was building up to what? To tell her that her husband was martyred too. So he said, Ya hamna Oh hamna seek the reward. She said, "Man ya Rasulullah. Like who's left? And he said, Mus'ab ibn Umayr. And she broke down. Wa hazna. She started to scream out and she started to wail. She fell to her knees just mourning. And the Prophet ﷺ, he you know he was deeply moved by that sight and he said, Look, the spouse, the husband has a place with the wife, or the spouse has a place with the spouse that no one else can take. This is different. So the tragedy of her uncle, the tragedy of her brother, and the tragedy of her husband all in one spot. SubhanAllah, she suffered all of those losses in the battle of Uhud. So of the 73, three of them were hers. And she married Talha ibn Ubaidillah afterwards. And she actually is the mother of Talha's most famous son, Muhammad ibn Talha. And may Allah be pleased with them all. So this is the family of Zainab ibn Now. Zainab's name, before being Zainab, was actually a very common name, Barra. Barra. Now, if you're an Arab kid, you grew up hearing Barra, get out. All right. Barra does not mean get out. Barra means free from all sins, free from all sins, pure. Okay. Now, how many people were named Barra? As many people that are named Zainab in the seerah, Okay. So you have Barra. Uh, who is Zainab bint Jahsh. You have Barra, was also the name of Zainab bin Khuzayma. So the Prophet ﷺ changed her name to Zainab, changed her name to Zainab. Umm Salama's name was Barra, the Prophet ﷺ changed her name. Maymuna bint al-Harith was Barra, the Prophet ﷺ changed her name. So four of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ had this name, and the Prophet ﷺ changed the name for two reasons. He said, number one, wala tuzakku anfusakum, do not claim purity for yourself, so you can't claim a place of perfection. Number two, the Prophet ﷺ did not want them to say min indi Barra, that he left from the purity, right? Which is which would have been the way that the Arabs would have expressed uh, you know, a person leaving. So the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that name, hence the name Zainab, which becomes such a common name in the seerah. And it was one of the favorite names of the Prophet, ﷺ, right? By his own children, his own grandchildren. And obviously, when he changes the names of Barra to Zainab, and Zainab means a fragrance plant, so a plant that as it grows, its, uh, its fragrance increases as well. So as it gets older, the fragrance grows as well. And so it's one of those blessed names that the Prophet chose that obviously has resonance within the Ummah today. Now, Zainab bin Jahs was born 17 years before Revelation, and as we said, royalty all around. She was born in wealth born in prestige, born in prominence. And it's important to say that she had one husband that is not named uh, before Zayd ibn al-Harithah Now obviously as we said with with the case of Aisha the habit of the Arabs was once a woman hit her age of maturity, she was married. And this is the case of all of the wives of the Prophet before they married him. If you were to correlate the time that they married their husbands, Hafsa to Khunais, it would be around the same age as Aisha married to the Prophet ﷺ because that was the way that their society functioned. So she was married, uh, it seems, one time before, but the name of that husband is not recorded. And then she basically joins her family to Medina to escape persecution and to make the hijrah. Now, Zainab had an expectation that none was going to marry her except the Prophet. ﷺ. So she's kind of waiting for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Now SubhanAllah, if you think about that, like why was she so convinced that it's Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam who's going to marry her? Okay, Because from a Nasab perspective, from a royalty perspective, from a lineage perspective Only the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's lineage is noble enough to be with someone like Zainab bin Jahsh From a pure Nasab perspective, he's, on, he's the only one Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he fits the mold of a royal husband I mean he's the Prophet of Allah But he's also the head of state now And he has the most noble of lineage So she thinks that the Prophet is going To come and propose to her And she is waiting for the Prophet وسلم, And the Prophet comes to visit the home After a few years in Medina And Zainab is expecting That he's coming to propose to her so he comes Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he speaks to Hamna, her sister Hamna ibn Jahsh عنها, and says to Hamna that I've come to you with a proposal. Hamna's excited, Zainab excited, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is going to propose. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, I'm here on behalf of Zayd ibn al-Haritha. Ta'ala Anhu. Zayd ibn haritha of course, was a freed slave, right? So when you talk about class, poverty, when you talk about the distinction, like he's on the opposite end of what Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha is and the Prophet wasalam, is purposefully trying to do that. That's why he marries Bila radiallahu anhu, to the sister of Abdul Rahman ibn Uf, radiallahu anhu, Right? He's crossing, as we've said in, in multiple cases, Juleybib, the famous story of Juleybib, radiallahu anhu with his wife. He's going to go and he's going to break through all of these things alayhi So he's purposefully trying to do that. Hamna says, bint ammatika, Mawlaak, you're going to marry your cousin, to your free slave? How could you do that? No, like, we can't do that. What's going on here? And then Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, she's so excited, and then suddenly her excitement is like, wait, what, you're going to marry me to Zaid? I thought it was you. I mean, think about the disappointment. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam, is coming to marry you, and then it's not the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa it is not befitting for a believing man or a believing woman, when Allah or His Messenger ﷺ passed a judgment, that they then maintain the choice in their affairs. That there is something that's being sanctioned here. The Prophet وسلم, clearly has a wisdom. And the Prophet وسلم, sees something in Zainab. She sent a message to the Prophet She said, "Inni wa wa ifa rasulullah. I believe in Allah. I believe in the Messenger. I seek forgiveness from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. whatever you see, O Messenger of Allah, as fitting, go ahead, I'm going to uh, carry out that marriage. So the Prophet sallam, is trying to break the classism in his society and he's trying to forge relationships across the board wa sallam, for a greater wisdom. Now why is it? Right? Obviously the issue was not, you know, people being married to multiple people because that was the norm of the society. Zayd radiallahu anhu was already married to Umm Ayman radiallahu ta'ala anha. If you think about the age gap between Zayd and Umm Ayman, Umm Ayman is like the adopted mother of the Prophet and Zayd is the adopted son of the Prophet There is two decades. But when Zayd heard who wants to marry a woman of Jannah with Umm Ayman, Zayd said, that's me. I don't care who it is. It's a woman of Jannah and he married Umm Ayman ta'ala anha. And Allah blessed them with Usama ibn Zayd. So he broke that, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? He's going across the, the different lines as they exist at that time. But at the end of the day, Zayd and Umayman were of a similar socioeconomic status, right? So the difference in terms of their class is not that wide. So Zayd marries Zainab, And Ibn Abbas, sallallahu anhu, says they never got along. You see a lot of human elements sometimes. It just did not work out. They're from two completely different realities. And I want you to remember this, especially, by the way, when we talk about Zainab in a few years. At this point in her life, and at this point in his life, two totally separate realities, right? It's not, you know, it sounds good on paper, it sounds like it's a great idea to break through these structures, but it's just not working out. They're not seeing eye to eye. They have different habits, they have different ways. There's a little bit of resentment on the part of zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha as well, that she wanted to be married to the Prophet or to be married to someone of that class of society. So it is not working out. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds the Prophet when Zayd comes to the Prophet and Zayd now says to Rasulullah Ya Rasulullah, let me divorce her. Like I want to divorce her. You're not forcing me on her. I want to divorce her, ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet is saying, wa This is in the Qur'an. Hold on to your wife and fear Allah subhanahu wa taala. Be mindful of Allah. Try to make it work, Zayd. You know, work through your differences. But subhanallah, wa it wasn't working out. And Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "Wa tuḫfi fi nafsika ma and you concealed in yourself what Allah subhanahu wa taala was going to make public. This here, because I don't want to spend too much time on the controversy part, but it's important, so I'm going to give you an article. And I'm not biased at all, but I think it's the best article that's written on this subject, but it's on Yaqeen Institute's website. <laughs> the Prophet's marriage to Zainab bin Jash: a re-examination from a historiographic perspective by Dr. Hassan Ashraf. So again, the Prophet's marriage to Zainab bin Jash: a re-examination from a historiographic perspective by Dr. Hassan Ashraf. It's a long, extensive paper that completely debunks what Islamophobes and Orientalists and those that would try to take from the Prophet's (laughs) haybah from his character would do. So a pretext to this, look, Allah tells us about the ways that the people of the book disgraced their prophets. They turned Dawood David, a noble man, into a man who would send his general out so that he can steal his wife. Ya'qub into a man who marries four women in one day, two sisters and their slaves. I mean, they turn Nuh salam, into what they turn Nuh salam, into. So there is no moral ground for you to try to debunk a prophet on the basis of, of this subject in the first place, but the same type of mindset and attitude of trying to reduce the prophets to lustful beings that are driven by their passions and their lusts and their desires. So what is the... Islamophobic claim, and unfortunately a claim that many uh, Muslims will even fall into and parrot, the Prophet ﷺ came one day and he saw Zaynab radiallahu anha without her hijab, and the Prophet ﷺ fell in love with her, and the Prophet ﷺ went and he held his love inside of his heart until Allah ﷻ made it uh, obvious, and then the Prophet ﷺ forced the divorce after that here's why that doesn't make sense number one, hijab hadn't been revealed yet so that's the first thing. So it, it preys upon ignorance of historio of the historical context. And again, even sometimes Muslim scholars, and I love them, but I love the Prophet more, will parrot this idea, and it's not right. Even the Prophet ﷺ, he had seen Zainab, anha, without hijab because hijab had not been revealed yet. That's number one. Number two, she wanted to marry him. If the Prophet ﷺ wanted to marry her from the very start, he could have saved himself the headache. No one would have said anything, and he could have married her without putting himself in this uh, in this hardship. So subhanAllah, when I say this article is is profound and it's a great historical breakdown, what Dr. Hassan does, he actually scrutinizes the sanad of every narration, the chain of every narration and every story that supposedly puts this forward and then puts forth the authentic narr- narrations about the Prophet وسلم, in this regard. So first and foremost, that Zainab anha would have been eager to marry the Prophet is an established historical fact. She was eager to marry the Prophet. So why would the Prophet uh, delay this until it's more convenient for him and then put himself through this hardship of try- of now the divorce of Zayd and, and things of that sort. Number two, that you know, and they interpret that you hide in yourself what Allah would make public, that this is the Prophet's love for her. And as, you know, uh, Adi Salahi says, you know, the idea that, this w- that the secret that supposedly the Prophet ﷺ was holding was his love for Zainab is suppose that a man falls in love with another man's wife. You're claiming that he's morally bound to speak of that love in public. Would God criticize a man who could not help his feelings if he suppressed such a love and kept it to himself? Would he be better rewarded if he were to write some love poems expressing his feeling? It doesn't make sense. So, to try to take that ayah and say the Prophet suddenly saw her and said, SubhanAllah, I'm in love with her now and I'm going to go cause a headache for myself to marry her, doesn't make sense whatsoever. So, that sort of disqualifies it from that perspective. So, what was the secret that Allah is talking about? It's the mandate that Allah had revealed, Tukhfi fi nafsikam Allahu that Zayd will divorce Zainab and you will marry Zainab. Zaid will divorce Zainab and you will marry Zainab. And the Prophet وسلم, الناس, he was worried about what the, what the people are gonna say, like what is that, right? How are people going to react to that? Because the Prophet وسلم, had adopted Zaid he did tabani, and Zaid was now Zaid ibn Muhammad. So what was the public perception going to be? And Allah was uh, saying to the Prophet وسلم, that the mandate was going to come down anyway, Don't hold this in yourself, Allah has a greater wisdom. Just like Allah had a greater wisdom for letting the marriage happen, Allah has a greater wisdom for the divorce that's going to happen now as well. So let's kind of break this down a bit, inshallah ta'ala, and then we'll get into the virtues and the story of Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, which I really want to get into. When Allah says, because this is going to make Surat al-Ahzab make a lot more sense to you. ما كان أبا أحد من رجالكم Muhammad wasallam is not the father of one of you. Why is this so important? To say the Prophet does not biologically have another son, because if the Prophet has a biological son, the spiritual, political, and material implications of that were going to be huge. So the annulment of adoption and removing any type of heir to the Prophet from a biological perspective means that no one can lay claim to prophethood or political authority based upon the Prophet is my father. So that's number one. It's extremely important to eliminate that before it even happens because of the political ramifications of that because the idea back then is, father transfers power to son. Now SubhanAllah, with that being said, Aisha radiallahu anha has an authentic hadith about Zaid radiallahu anhu. I thought about this when I visited the grave of Zaid ibn Harith radiallahu anhu in Mu'ta. SubhanAllah, Aisha radiallahu anha says, the Prophet never sent out an army. Except that he put Zayd in charge of it. And she says, Who's Aisha's father? Abu Bakr. Aisha says, If Zayd was alive, the Prophet would have made him the Khalifa. That's what she says. If Zayd was alive, the Prophet would have appointed him as Khalifa. Because of his being his son? No, because of his righteousness. This is Hibbu Rasulullah, this is the beloved one of the Prophet. Zayd was molded and raised by the Prophet sallallahu And encompassed so much beauty So Aisha is saying if he was alive He would have been appointed as the Khalifa So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed At-tabanni Which is to ascribe a son to yourself And look at the wisdom Because if you're Zayd I went from being Zayd ibn Haritha to Zayd ibn Muhammad To now being Zayd ibn Haritha again how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala compensate Zayd for no longer being Zayd ibn Muhammad? He mentions his name in the Qur'an. The only companion of the Prophet whose name is in the Qur'an. Allah mentions his name. So the compensation for no longer being Zayd, the son of Muhammad is that you are the only companion of Muhammad named in the revelation of Muhammad وسلم, and your name is recited as ibadah from all of the Muslims, as an act of worship from all of the Muslims for all time. Now I'm gonna hit one more thing inshallah ta'ala then go back to the marriage. Beyond hifdhul nasr, which is to pr- preserve lineage, what's the wisdom of Allah prohibiting tabanni, prohibiting adoption? Because effectively now, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala solidifies the divorce of Zayd from Zainab, and then orders the Prophet ﷺ to marry Zainab. right? He breaks completely the institution of tabanni, which is known as adoption. And for us, living in a world where adoption is synonymous with charity, generosity, we see that and we think to ourselves, why eliminate an institution of good? Why eliminate an institution of charity? And the reason being is that in that society, Tabanni was actually a means of exploitation and evil. So go back to the socio-historic context, so just a quote from the article. Examples of this principle include the pre-Islamic sanctioning of the coercive marriage between a son and his stepmother at the death of the father. That was actually a practice that the Arabs had. Without consent of the stepmother, by the way. So tabanni, you could literally adopt someone and they inherit your wife after death in Jahili, in the days of ignorance, without even the consent. Of the stepmother. In fact, not just the son, but all of the deceased male's heirs were given carte blanche to wed any female member of the deceased households, including wives and daughters. Tabanni was also used to appropriate the wealth of an orphan. So you find an orphan, if that orphan inherited something, if you're a more powerful tribe, you're my son now, and I can take everything that belongs to you. Tabanni, subhanAllah, in our in our minds, adoption is to take someone in and foster and care for them. In that time... That was a means of appropriating the wealth of an orphan, of a wealthy orphan. It was also used sometimes to hide the crime of zina, to hide the crime of, uh, of fornication and adultery. So in conclusion, adoption provided no added social benefit to individuals who could realize far more gain by simply becoming a halif, a, a, you know, a, a, an ally to a tribe. And in this context, it was imperative to entirely abolish an institution that was at best inherently functionless, and at worst, fostered oppression. And for a practice that was as deeply entrenched in society, this wasn't going to work unless it had prophetic precedence. The only way this institution was going to be abolished from the community of the Prophet is if it had a function in the life of the Prophet Subhanallah, with all of that, look at all the ayat that came down about caring for the orphan. Kafir al taking care of orphans, foster care, Adoption without tabanni, bringing in children into the home and raising them as your own. All of that was not just maintained, it was actually encouraged and it became a new feature of that civilization that used to bury kids alive when they saw them of no benefit. So that's the wisdom of the prohibition of tabanni through something as solid as the institution of marriage. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divorces Zayd from Zainab and now orders the marriage of the Prophet ﷺ to Zainab ta'ala Anha years later. And what did Zainab anha do? Allahu Akbar and she fell in the Sajdat al-Shukr. So she goes into prostration and she starts to celebrate and this is what she had wanted the entire time and subhanAllah, this happens five years after hijrah, right before haditha al right before the slander of Aisha radiallahu anha, which gives you some more context into why Hamna bin Jahsh might have fallen into the crime of slandering Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. So this is right before that, Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha is married to the Prophet sallallahu And Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu says about the marriage of Zainab radiallahu anha, uh, he says, الله الله uh, That the Prophet وسلم, did not have a wedding that was as nice as the wedding of Zainab. What is his idea of nice? The Prophet ﷺ actually slaughtered a goat. Alright, so because most of the time it was eat some date paste and a little bit of bread. Rasulullah actually... أَطْعَمَهُمْ خُبْزًا وَلَحْمًا حَتَّى تَرَكُوهُ He actually, صلى الله عليه وسلم, slaughtered an animal and fed them bread and meat until there was enough that was even left over afterwards. So what makes this marriage so interesting that Zainab رضي الله تعالى عنها, would always talk about? Zainab had a famous statement. She would say, إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَنْكَحَنِي فِي السماع. Allah married me from the heavens. So the Qur'an served as my nikah. Allah married me from above seven heavens. So you're going to see now why Aisha and Zainab used to always get into it. Aisha radiallahu anha used to boast, Jibreel alayhi salam, married me off. Zaynab radiallahu anha would respond and say, well fine, Allah married me off. Okay? And as Al-Dhahabi narrates, taala bine, uh, uh, بِنَبِيهِ صلى الله عليه It's really interesting. The marriage of Zainab is unlike any other marriage contract in history. It's actually the Qur'an. Because there was no wali, no witnesses. We're all witnesses to the marriage of the Prophet to Zainab رضي الله And she used to, فَكَانَتْ تَفْخَرُ بذلك عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ She used to say, from a place of, of boastfulness, she used to say, زَوَّجَ كُنَّ أَهَالِي اللَّهُ مِنْ That your family's married you off, I was married by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from above his throne. And she used to say that three things that Allah blessed me with, that I was married from above seven heavens, Allah was my guardian, Allah is the one who married me off. And she said, the ayat of hijab came after me. And she said, and I'm the closest to the Prophet وسلم, in relationship, in terms of her blood relationship to the Prophet What's the story there? Anas radiallahu anhu, he narrates. When the Prophet وسلم, married Zainab anha, they had the walima, which was the same. The Prophet وسلم, gave the same mahar to all of his wives. Right, sallallahu Alaihi There was a group of men that came to the house of the Prophet So people were coming into the house, they would sit, they would eat, they would leave. And there was a group of men that came and sat down, and they didn't leave. The Prophet ﷺ was too shy to say, can you go home now? All right, the party's over, go home. So Rasulullah ﷺ, what does he do? He gets up to leave himself, thinking if I leave my house, they'll get up and leave too, but they just stayed there and kept talking. So the Prophet ﷺ left his home. فَأَتَى حُجرًا Ummahat al-mu'mineen, yad'u wa yad'un This is beautiful uh, He went to his uh, wife He greeted each of them He made dua' for them And they made dua' for him So he went to visit his wife وسلم, And they wished him well They made dua' for him, he made dua' for them And he came back and they were still there Just like Surah Al-Hujurat comes down to set some boundaries For the Prophet وسلم, uh, Here the boundary of the hijab for ummahatul mu'minin, which was the curtain in the home. So obviously, the hijab, as it applies to all women, was was made mandatory. But the, the hijab, as in the curtain that was established in the home. So if you look at the uh, portrayals of the hujurat of the of the chambers of the Prophet the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would speak from literally behind a curtain in their home uh, to people when they would come to visit them. So Zainab anha was saying this was the uh, context. Uh, for this. So, what happens with Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha? Obviously, as we said, you can tell right away why Aisha radiallahu anha and Zainab radiallahu anha are gonna have a particular dynamic here. So the story of the Ansar bringing the gifts to the house of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Aisha's house and Zainab not liking that, and Zainab radiallahu anha coming and complaining to the Prophet and then Aisha radiallahu anha uh, chastising her back, askataha. It's completely silencing her, and the Prophet says, That's the daughter of Abu Bakr, leave me out of it. So that's one. (laughs) Hadithatul Ifk, the slander of Aisha. Aisha praises Zainab. Why? Because Zainab had a chance to take some shots at Aisha when she was slandered. But what does she say? She says that when the Prophet asked Zainab what she thought about Aisha, Zainab said, Ya Rasulullah ahmi sam'i wa basari wallahi ma'alimtu illa khayra. O Messenger of Allah, I'll protect my eyes and I'll protect my ears. Wallahi I don't know except for good of her. And Aisha praises Zainab and says, اللَّهُ بِالْوَرَعِ That Allah protected her with her righteousness. She was such a righteous woman that she couldn't slander even then it was her sister Hamna Who's who's a companion? May Allah be pleased with her. Again, comes out of a great deal of trauma here, right? But she's saying Zainab had too much taqwa to take part in that slander. The story of a Tahrim, Surah Tahreem, tahrim that the Prophet would uh, go to the house of Zainab and Zainab had a particular type of honey that the Prophet loved, and Hafsa and Aisha, may Allah be pleased with them, said, Let's tell the Prophet وسلم, when he comes to our homes that your breath smells like maghafir, that your breath smells bad when you come so that we can dissuade the Prophet from visiting Zainab. تعالى, and this is, as in Sahih uh, al-Bukhari, the Prophet وسلم, when he was asked, did you eat مغافر? What what is it with your breath? He said, uh, لا كنت أشرب عند زينب جحش فلن أعود له the Prophet ﷺ said, I I drank honey in the house of Zainab Rodhiallahu anha, and I will not return to it. وَقَدْ halaftu la tuhbiri bidali qahada. And he took an oath, Rodiallahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from Aisha that they will not conceal that secret or they will not make public that secret. That the Prophet ﷺ said, I will not eat her honey anymore. Another Islamophobic narrative, and so it's a tahrim that is debunked, weak uh asanid, al qurtubi rahimahullah uh, debunks all of them, that the secret of the Prophet ﷺ was this, that he told them not to make public uh, the sir. Uh, that the Prophet ﷺ said, I will not return to drinking uh, that honey. So you have the story of a tahrim. Then you have the story of i'tikaf as we come into the last 10 days of Ramadan. I'm getting the conflict out of the way so I can get to the qualities, all right? So let's just go through all the conflicts really quick. Uh, in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ obviously used to do what? He used to pitch his tent in the masjid, and the Prophet would isolate himself and worship for the entirety of those last 10 nights. So the Prophet did that one one year, and Aisha asked the Prophet, Can I pitch a tent next to you? The Prophet said, Go ahead. So Hafsa asked Aisha, it shows you the way the camps are. Hafsa asked Aisha, Can you ask the Prophet if I can pitch a tent too? So Hafsa pitched the tent next to the Prophet Sallallahu too. And Zainab said that and said, wait, if they're pitching a tent, I'm going to go pitch a tent as well. So the Prophet Sallallahu who's coming to the masjid, sitting in his tent Sallallahu to spend the last 10 nights of Ramadan, worshipping Allah and remembering Allah. Now he's got Aisha, Hafsa and Zainab and they've got their tents around him Sallallahu And the Prophet ﷺ came out and he said, Al-Birra aradna bihada ma'ana bi He said, are they seeking to do something righteous through this or is this something else? The Prophet said, you know what? You stay in your tents, I'm going home. And the Prophet did not do i'tikaf that year, but the Prophet did an extra 10 nights the next year. So he said, you know what? If you're coming to do i'tikaf, you're going to do i'tikaf. You all stay in your tents and I'm going to go back home. So this was the the intensity of that competition uh, that they had uh, with each other. And I say this subhanAllah because it makes the qualities more beautiful when they start to praise the qualities um, of one another. And when we talk about Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha, Safiya, um, you know, uh, and she'll probably be the next lecture we do after Ramadan inshaAllah ta'ala. But with Safiya radiallahu anha in particular, because she was a convert from Judaism, right, the insult to Safiya was al the Jewish woman, right? So Zainab was one of those who also insulted Safiya anha, and the Prophet was very upset about that and he didn't talk to her for some time wasalam, uh, when she insulted Safiyya in that way. So she had that temper as well where she snapped at Safiya ta'ala anha in that way. Now I want to get to her qualities and I start with her qualities by saying one thing. SubhanAllah, what stuck out to me this time in particular when going through the preparation for this lecture was the effect the Prophet ﷺ had on people, particularly in regards to their attachment to the hereafter and their detachment from this world. And actually, you know, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Anuma has a beautiful statement. He says, Kunna ma'a sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We were with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Yahimun al tahimuna All we cared about was the hereafter. We could care less about this dunya. Like when we were with the Prophet all we cared about was the hereafter. The world suddenly had no meaning. The material world suddenly meant nothing to us. We became entirely detached because you're with the Prophet Look at the way that your iman is going to be raised. Look at the way your faith is going to be raised. And suddenly, you rise in the ranks and you become attached to something else. This is a woman that comes from royalty. And I want you to observe the change that's going to happen in her life, رضي الله تعالى عنها. Aisha radiallahu anha says about Zainab radiallahu anha. And remember Aisha and Zainab were competitors, right? Aisha says out of all the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, me and Zainab used to always go at it. But she says, مَا رَأَيْتُمْ رَأَةً قَدْ خَيْرًا فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ زَيْنَبِ وَأَتْقَى لِلَّهِ وَأَصْدَقَ حَدِيثًا وَأَوْصَلَ لِلرَّحِمْ وَأَعْضَمَ أَمَانًا وَصَدَقًا This is a high praise. She said, I've never met a woman in my life who was better in her religion than Zainab, who had more consciousness of Allah than Zainab, was more God-fearing than Zainab. Asdaqa haditha, who spoke the truth like Zainab. Remember, even in those moments, she only said good about Aisha radiAllahu ta'ala anha. Wa rahim, and she used to maintain the ties of kinship. Wa amanatan wa sadaqah, and who was better or more trustworthy and more charitable than Zainab. I mean, she checks all these boxes and Aisha said, no one was like Zainab in this regard. So when you talk about a competitor, you talk about competitor in khair as well, competitor in good as well. Hence, take that story of i'tikaf and look what happens a few years later. The Prophet enters into the masjid and he sees a rope hanging between two pillars. And he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what is that rope? And they said, hablun li Zainab." This is Zainab's rope. Zainab's rope, that's interesting. So, the Prophet said, what do you mean Zainab's rope? And they said, Ya Rasulullah, she comes to the masjid at night, and she prays all night long, and when she gets tired, she leans on the rope رضي الله تعالى عنها. Subhanallah. Think about the righteousness and the dedication that this woman suddenly has. This is a woman that comes from royalty that a few years ago is not that person, right? Now she's in the masjid and she's leaning on a rope so she can keep herself praying all night. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, that's not the right way, that you should remove the rope. And he said, وسلم, that a person should pray up to their nashata, up to their energy. Once a person gets to a point where they cannot understand what they're reading anymore, they get too tired, He said, صلى then you should sit down. That's too much at that point when it comes to qiyam. So some of you you that come in taraweeh, if you start falling forward and you keep bumping the person in front of you in the back, especially those first few nights as you're starting to get used to it, it's okay, you can quit after six right. If you don't even know where you are anymore, if the biryani that you had for iftar was too heavy and it's messing with your senses, probably try something different. No, you can eat biryani for iftar, it's halal. But at that point, the Prophet is saying, when you don't even know what you're saying anymore, stop. That's too much, right? But it shows you how Zainab was developing a habit of qiyam. So I want to actually go through the habits. Number one is qiyam. Number two, the description of Zainab is that after the Prophet passed away, Zainab did not leave her home. Now, why is that said about her in a sense of praise? that she spent her days and her nights between the Qur'an and between Qiyam al-Layl. It was as if nothing else existed in this world. SubhanAllah. So she became this Zahida, this ascetic that was so incredible and unbelievable to the rest of society. How is this woman so righteous? Taala anha, Staying in her place of Ibadah, worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and of course the Sadaqah, of Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, is going to be her greatest trait. Zainab radiallahu anha was narrated. They said that money in the hand of Zainab was like charcoal. It was like you were putting a burning piece of charcoal in her hand. That anything that touched her hand left her hand just as quickly radiallahu ta'ala anha in sadaqah. Remember the woman that came from, lo- from, from royalty and look what's happening to her. What do you think happened to her being in the presence of the Prophet sallam, for just four years? Right? that completely reshaped her view of this dunya to where money would not stay in her hand except like a burning piece of char- charcoal. And Aisha radiallahu anha says, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was dying, and, and as I said, we don't have much about Zainab radiallahu anha because she died so early, right? We only have about 11 hadith from her, by the way, because she died so early. Aisha says, when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was dying, what is the concern of every person around him? When do we get to join you? Right? So Fatima radiallahu anha has told, you're going to be the first one to join me and Fatima radiallahu anha is laughing. Laughing, 21-year-old woman, because she's going to be the first one to die after the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the wives of the Prophet sallallahu are curious who gets to be with you first. And the Prophet sallallahu he said, yatba'uni atwalu kunna yada the one with the longest arm will be the first one to follow me. The one who has the longest arm will be the first one to follow me. So Aisha radiAllahu anha says, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away, Kunna إِذَا اجْتَمَعْنَا fi bayti ihdana بَعْدَ wafati رَسُولِ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa that when the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to gather in one of our homes, every single time, namuddu أَيْدِيَنَا فِي الْجِدَارِ نَتَطَا we would start to measure our arms physically they take out their arms and they'd start to measure who has the longest arm and that's out of their anticipation they're wanting to die to be with the prophet that's the mindset Think about what an incredible person the Prophet was that that's the effect that he left on these people that they're literally measuring their arms saying which one of us has the longest arm that we can go and join the Prophet first. And here's what she says which is very interesting. She said the shortest wife of the Prophet was Zainab. Zainab was a very short woman. So the shortest wife of the Prophet was Zainab bin Jahsh The tallest wife was Sauda So we would measure the arms and we would see Sauda and it makes sense. Sauda was very old, by the way. Zainab عنها, was not young, right? She was already married twice. She's in her late 30s when she marries the Prophet. So she's not a young woman, especially in that society. But Sauda عنها, is 60s, right? Going into her 70s. And her arm was longest. So we thought, well, I guess that means Sauda is going to be the first one to die until. Zainab anha passed away and we realized what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi meant when he said, Atwala kunna yadan, The longest arm is the one who gives the most sadaqah. And Zainab was the most charitable of all of the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So she had the longest arm. And the description, subhanAllah, some of the books of seen it, literally, that her hands would, I mean, because of her hastiness to give charity, when someone would come to knock on her door, they wouldn't even have to get close to the door before they found Zainab's hand already out there extending whatever came to her home radiallahu ta'ala, anha, being donated for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this woman who goes on with this legacy, SubhanAllah, look how, it, look how this actually takes place here. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, when he used to send his annual payments to the wives of the Prophet وسلم, to take care of them, he was told that Zainab is not keeping any of it, but she's giving it all away and Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu sent more and sent more and sent more and Zainab radiyallahu anha made a dua she said Allahumma la yudrikuni qabilu al-mali fa'innahu fitna oh Allah don't let me live to see another year of this money because it's a fitna for me she lived that life she had a life of wealth a life of richness she's saying oh Allah don't put me to this test again it's a fitna for me and Umar anhu, the messenger came back to him that he sent to give her her charity and told him what she said. And Umar anhu said, imraa yuradu biha khair. This is a woman that Allah wants good for. Something is special about this woman. I mean, the wife of the Prophet This woman, Allah wants something special for her. So Umar anhu went personally to her home and sought permission and said, I heard what you said. But there is nothing wrong with you taking care of yourself, ya al Mu'mineen. So here is a thousand, and this is personal money. This is not from anyone else. This is a thousand dirhams from me to you. Please keep them. As soon as Umar radiallahu anhu left, Zainab radiallahu anhu went out the house and distributed and she that was it. And subhanAllah, this woman, in her dua, she died before the next year, the next payment came, as she said in her dua, and she died with no possessions in her hujra because she even donated her furniture. Now, by the way, when I say this type of stuff, you're like, well, does that mean I need to go home and donate all of my furniture? This is like when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu gives all of his wealth for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These people were on a different level of Iman and they had a different status, they had a different circumstance. You take the lesson from their detachment from this dunya, but even the Prophet وسلم, would not let other people do what Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did. So Zainab radiallahu anhu is in a different league in this regard. But she even donated the furniture in her home, and what was the furniture of the house of the Prophet ﷺ? And she stays in her ibadah radiallahu taala anha, and look what happens when she gets sick. So she is the first of the wives of the Prophet وسلم, to go. Subhanallah, it's unbelievable. She gets sick, and she says, "Inni qad a'adatu kafani, ilayya she said, listen, I already prepared my kafan. So she was getting sick and she knew her time of death was coming. She was preparing for her meeting with the Prophet for her reuniting with the Prophet She said, I have a kafan. I've already prepared for myself. Knowing Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he's going to send some kafan for me to use. He's going to send some cloth for me to use. She said, if that happens, If he sends kafans, give it away. Like, don't let me be buried before you give away those kafans. I don't even want the cloth that Umar sends to my house to stay in my house. And she said, whatever you can give of my preparation for death in sadaqah, give it away. Whatever is not necessary to actually bury me in the grave, give it all away for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was her attitude radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she passes away, radiallahu ta'ala anha, only with the Hujra, with the the house that was left behind with the Prophet and the kafan that she had, this woman who came from royalty in Mecca, that was considered the elite of the elite, and something happened inside of her, radiallahu anha, to where she completely focused herself to being the elite of the hereafter. And look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honors her. And her janazah, subhanAllah, was a big deal in Medina because she's the first of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ to pass away. So she's our first mom to die after the death of the Prophet. ﷺ. So everyone in Medina right, participates in this janazah. They pray their salah in the masjid of the Prophet. ﷺ. They walk out and they wait around the house of Zainab, عنها, where her body will be carried. And her brother Abu Ahmad, who was the, the blind companion, of the uh, it's narrated and subhanAllah it's, it's important to see this human side that he wouldn't leave her her bed عنها, that he was holding on to her and he was crying uh, and he wouldn't leave her bed and umar had to uh you know encourage him to basically let her go you know and that's something subhanAllah that shows you sometimes you need to know the the, the human love and attachment and, and the compassion that these sahaba had for their siblings for each other especially the love they had for the prophet So Umar had to prompt him and allow him to come to terms with the fact that she would be buried. And Abu Ahmad, he said that through this woman, every blessing that came to our household came to us. Like SubhanAllah, when she was alive, all the barakah that came in our household, it wasn't just the sadaqah that she was giving that was bringing barakah to her. Everything that she was doing, the barakah would come to our house. And Umar allowed him to carry her body or to be one of those that carried her body as a means of persuading him to be able to, to, let, uh, to let her go uh, from that place. And subhanAllah, it was a windy day. Uh, so Asma' bint Abi Umays, Asma' bint Umays, who was the wife of Abu Bakr, uh, if you read about Asma' bint Umays, Asma' bint Umays was this incredible woman who was the widow of Ja'far, the widow of Abu Bakr, the widow of Ali. <laughs> she married all three men. And she was the one who used to prepare bodies for... For burial. So she actually washed the body of Abu Bakr herself, which is why some of the Madahib allow for a spouse to wash the body of their spouse on the basis of Asma' washing the body of Abu Bakr. So Asma' washed her body, and Asma' said, Zainab was a woman of great hayat, was a woman of great modesty. So let's put a box or let's put her in some sort of a box because it's windy and we don't want the garment to blow off. This is the first wife of the Prophet to pass away. So let's give her an honorable uh, barrier. Uh, burial, and so they carried her in a box, Abu Ahmad, her brother, uh, in the front, and some of the uh, noble ones of the companions, the most noble ones of the companions, and they covered the grave of Zainab, radiallahu anha. they held a sheet over her grave, while they buried her under, and in Medina, if you go to Al-Baqir, when they bury the women, they say that this is the practice of Zainab, they took this from the day of Zainab's death, where when a woman is being buried, so that... Her body does not show when she's being buried, that there's some people that will hold a sheet over while the, the, the grave diggers go and they bury the body of the woman so that the public does not see, and especially in a you know, in a desert environment uh, where something could be exposed. So they took that, they say this is the tradition after the death of Zainab, Ta'ala Anha. And so she was buried عنها, in Al-Baqir. And there's a section in Al-Baqir where the wives of the Prophet are buried. She's the first one, radiallahu anha. يدن, the longest arm amongst you. And that becomes her name in the seerah, subhanAllah, the longest arm. And I'll end with, with two things here. Um salam radiallahu anha, who actually was the longest living wife of the Prophet. When Zainab passed away, Tarahamat alayha. she said, May Allah have mercy on her. And she remembered all those times that her and Aisha used to have their arguments, because that was kind of the, the, the spats between Aisha and Zainab. And she said, الله الله She was beloved to the Prophet and the Prophet used to frequently visit her. This was a woman that used to pray at night. Sawama, so qawama is the description of hafsa, fast all day, pray at night. And she used to do so many good deeds. And she gave all of her wealth to the masakin, to the poor people. And when she passed away, Aisha radiallahu anha was crying and grieving. And there was a surprise. Like we thought that Zainab and Aisha had beef with each other, right? That they used to always have their spats with each other. And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she praised her when she was crying. She said, لَقَدْ wal said that a beloved and righteous woman has passed away. She was the shelter of the widows and the orphans of Medina. This one woman, subhanAllah, was the shelter of the orphans and the widows of Medina That is our mother Zainab bin Jahsh And it's interesting, subhanAllah, that Zainab bin Khuzayma and Zainab bin Jahsh were the two women uh, who were most known for their sadaqah from the wives of the Prophet there's a dispute over whether Ummul Masakeen, the mother of the poor, is Zainab bint Khuzayma or Zainab bint Jahsh. And Allah aalam Allah knows best, but that was a nickname first for Zainab bint Khuzayma. It could have transferred to her as well, the mother of the poor. In any case, they are our mothers. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all and reunite us with them. Allahumma ameen. Insha'Allah ta'ala, we will uh, continue after Ramadan. Allahumma belighna Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to reach Ramadan. And allow us to draw closer to the ways of these blessed people whom we study. And bid the nahi taala. We will continue afterwards, uh, inshallah taala, with uh, wh- whoever remains from the ways of the Prophet wa sallam, that we haven't already covered uh, from uh, the first season uh, of the firsts. We ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to forgive us for our shortcomings, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to gather us once again in that which is pleasing to Him. Allahumma ameen. And inshallah taala. Once again, I want to welcome Hector. And I want to remind the brothers, by the way, uh, mashallah, our brothers at Iqna are doing incredible da'wah work. at Clyde Warren, they had 10 people embrace Islam uh, just a few days ago. And if you want to be a part of this da'wah, inshallah ta'ala, please join our brothers and sisters at Iqna and embrace and what they're doing uh, as well. Just the incredible work that they're doing on the ground. Now you can all hug Hector, by the way.